We are continuing our series on growth, as Andy said earlier. Uh, this is the second one. Um, but, uh, and it's not just about growth of us as a church, although we are intentionally growing, but it's also about our growth as uh, individuals in our walk of faith. And uh, today we're looking at acceptance of others, which I hope you might find useful in whatever situation you're in, whether you are part of a church or part of another group of people where you're expecting new people to come in. And in the first instance, what I want you to do, in just, you don't have to move around, just in twos and threes, turn to your neighbours and just think about and come up with some words that mean what, what you would feel if you were not accepted, what lack of acceptance feels like. Just in one or two words, think about what impact that would have on you as a person if you were not accepted. Just for a couple of minutes or so, just turn to your neighbour and think about things in one or two words, that's all. When I thought about it, I just thought, What's, how would I feel if I was not accepted somewhere? And, and these are some of the words that I came up with. And I, I had a bit of a conversation with one or two people, and that's the sorts of thing. Do these resonate with anybody about what they were talking about just now? Are they the sorts of things that you were thinking of? When I Google things when you're preparing for a talk, don't you? <laughs> so, Let's put that in and see what happens. And one of the things I came up with on one website was the opposite of acceptance is rejection, which is a form of identity destruction. That's, I thought that's quite a powerful statement, actually. Another quote, which from, from an American author I hadn't heard of, but apparently he's quite famous. I don't live in America, so perhaps that's why I don't know him. The greatest gift that you can give to others is the gift of unconditional love and acceptance. If we're to grow as a church, it means we're going to get bigger and as well, hopefully, more mature as individuals. But we're not just looking to make replicas of ourselves. Not going to make duplicates of all of us. We're looking to extend the kingdom of God and bring the good news of Jesus to lots of different people. We pray that they will experience the love of God through us and that they will find that abundant life that Jesus has given to us and that they'll become part of the family. But if we're to fulfill the commission from Jesus to make disciples of all nations, and I think perhaps he meant all cultures, not just the French and the Australians and the Russians or in that respect, but that he meant of all different people groups. That will mean that we are reaching out to people who are not necessarily just like us or that they view life just like us. Even when we know Jesus, and I think, thankfully, we look, see feel and bring different attributes to the church family. I wouldn't like us to be all the same. When we choose to acknowledge Jesus as boss in our lives and we want to follow his way, he brings us to a way of living so that others who also know him will recognize us. There'll be a likeness between us as there is in families. There's family likenesses. But before that happens... 
those who don't believe may have lifestyles, thinking and behaviour that is quite different from that which might be expected of someone who believes. And if and when those people come to believe, they won't immediately be the same as another Christian anyway. We're all works in progress. We're at different stages in our life's faith journey. We don't expect a toddler to behave in the same way as a 12-year-old or a teenager to behave in the same way as an 80-year-old. If we start off feeling uncomfortable with people who think and behave differently from us, and as a knock-on result of that only attract people like us, we might attract other believers or people who superficially think and behave like us, but we're not going to grow the kingdom of God very effectively. I have this song, which you might recognize the words of, in my mind quite often when I'm looking at things that are rather the same. Little boxes. Do you remember the song from the 60s? Little boxes, little boxes on the hillside. This is the second verse. And the people in the houses all went to the university where they were put in boxes and they came out all the same. And there's doctors and lawyers and business executives and they're all made out of ticky-tacky and they all look just the same. And uh, one, there's a verse that isn't in the original song that I remember that's about other sorts of boxes that people get put in, which is quite interesting that spinners used to sing. But this was a, a protest song in the 60s by uh, Malvina Rez Reynolds. And that came to my mind, as we don't want people to look the same. It's important that we welcome and accept those who are different from us as well as those we are more comfortable with. The church family should look like a stained glass window or a kaleidoscope. I especially like the image of the kaleidoscope. Do you remember? The, oh, you can still get them, I think. The ones where you turn them and the little bits of plastic in the end turn around and you get different pictures as you turn, turn the colours and the little um, scraps pass, go round and they make different patterns. That's a bit like us. We, and we change. You know, We might be all little different bits of glass that uh, reflect the light differently and then you turn and we change and you end up looking a li little different. So I think that's quite a good um, illustration of what the church family is like, that as we grow and we change and the light shines differently through us. The trouble is, as human beings, we have a strong tendency to evaluate other people as soon as we meet them, comparing how they behave against values and consequently judging them good or bad, right or wrong, competent or incompetent, we are more likely to accept people who pass this social test. That's a quote that I found on the internet, and it just sort of sums up what our natural human uh, instinct is likely to be. We have a, a likelihood to accept people having evaluated them um, from there. I found a rather sad story on, uh, online um, which illustrates how even churches can fall into one extreme or the other. And this is, this is one extreme. It's off a, a, an American site, but it's a, a blog from a, a minister who, on, on his blog, somebody made a comment about church as far as they were experiencing it. 
We are agnostics living deep in the heart of Texas. And our family fakes Christianity for social reasons. It's not so much for the sake of my husband or myself, but for our young children. We found by experience that if we were truthful about not being regular church attenders, the play dates suddenly ended. Thus started the faking of the religious funk. It seems silly, but it's all very serious business down here. We don't go to church or teach or our children one belief is right over another. We expose them to every kind of belief and trust that belief and trust that they will one day settle into their very own spirituality. However, for the sake of friends and neighbors, we pretend we are Christians. We try not to lie, but rather not disclose unnecessary information. As the children are getting older, this isn't easy, so easy for them, and an outing is probably imminent. I thought that was so sad, but that should be the experience of people who are coming into contact with Christians. And then the minister comments afterwards, people who fake being Christian so that Christians will accept them. I'm much less insulted by the fakers than I am by the Christians who don't express radical hospitality to other faiths and agnostics. There's more than one person faking Christian values in this story. We're not to cut ourselves off from the world and away from unbelievers so totally that we can no longer be salt or catalysts for the kingdom of God. And I hope and pray that GCC in years to come will never fall into this trap. We're all flawed human beings. Some flaws we're born with. Some we grow into. Some are the consequence of living in the fallen world around us. And we all have them. No wonder Jesus taught that we should think about the plank in our own eye, the flaws in us, before we look at the speck in our neighbor's eye. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? When I thought about Jesus' approach to people who were different, unchanged non-believers, I realized that despite what may have been their failings, Jesus never gave up on them. He still loved them. The woman at the well was from a group of people that the Jews were determined not to love. The Samaritans, they were beyond the pale. But Jesus sat down with a Samaritan woman and had a deep, meaningful conversation with her. Zacchaeus, the tax collector, was shunned by most of society because he was not only a tax collector, but a money-grabbing fraudster. And the Pharisees, who were conspiring to kill Jesus. I think he loved them too. When he wept over Jerusalem, he said, if only you had known what would bring you peace. I'm sure he was including those teachers of the law as they were. And indeed, he, he received Nicodemus, a Pharisee, who came to him with seeking questions. Accepting others is not just an activity for a Sunday morning. 
It's not just our welcoming strangers at the door. And I hope those of you who are strangers with us this morning will have felt welcomed as you came through the door. But it isn't just about that. We are the church of Jesus 24-7, seven days a week. And God's acceptance of us should impact on our everyday lives. Therefore, so should our acceptance of others. And that's where I started when I was thinking about acceptance of others. It has to be rooted in how God accepts us. He accepts us in grace and in compassion. And as we accept others, as Paul describes relationships in the church, he says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. As we think about God's acceptance of us, I'm going to let him do the talking. And I'm not going to comment much on it at all, but I'm going to read you um, Ephesians chapter 2, one of the letters of Paul. But I'm going to read it uh, from the message, which is, uh, so it'll be, it's slightly more modern language. And it may be that you don't read that that often, and it just come across slightly differently. It wasn't so long ago that you were mired in that old stagnant life of sin. You let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. You filled your lungs with polluted unbelief and then exhaled disobedience. We all did it, all of us doing what we felt like doing, when we felt like doing it, all of us in the same boat. It's a wonder God didn't lose his temper and do away with the whole lot of us. Instead, Immense in mercy and with an incredible love, he embraced us. He took our sin-dead lives and made us alive in Christ. He did this all on his own with no help from us. Then he picked us up and set us down in highest heaven in company with Jesus, our Messiah. Now God has, has us where he wants us with all the time in this world and the next, to shower grace and kindness upon us in Christ Jesus. Saving is all his idea and all his work. All we do is trust him enough to let him do it. It's God's gift from start to finish. We don't play the major role. If we did, we'd probably go around bragging that we'd done the whole thing. No, we neither make nor save ourselves. God does both the making and saving. He creates each of us by Christ Jesus to join him in the work he does, the good work he's gotten ready for us to do, work we had better be doing. But don't take any of this for granted. It was only yesterday that you outsiders to God's ways had no idea of any of this, didn't know the first thing about the way God works, hadn't the faintest idea of Christ. You knew nothing of that rich history of God's covenants and promises in Israel, hadn't a clue about what God was doing in the world at large. Now, because of Christ, dying that death, shedding that blood, you who were once out of it altogether are in on everything. The Messiah has made things up between us so that we're now together on this both non-Jewish outsiders and Jewish insiders. He tore down the wall we used to keep each other at a distance. 
he repealed the law code that had become so clogged with fine print and footnotes that it hindered more than it helped. And he started over. Instead of continuing with two groups of people separated by centuries of animosity and suspicion, he created a new kind of human being, a fresh start for everybody. Christ brought us together through his death on the cross. The cross got us to embrace, and that was the end of the hostility. Christ came and preached peace to you outsiders and peace to us insiders. He treated us as equals and so made us equals. Through him, we both share the same spirit and have equal access to the Father. That's plain enough, isn't it? You're no longer wandering exiles. This kingdom of faith is now your home country. You're no longer strangers or outsiders. You belong here with as much right to the name Christian as anyone. God is building a home. He's using us all, irrespective of how we got here, in what he is building. He used the apostles and prophets for the foundation. Now he's using you, fitting you in brick by brick, stone by stone, with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone that holds all the parts together. We see it taking shape day after day a holy temple built by God, all of us built into it, a temple in which God is quite at home. That's how God accepts us and weaves us into his purposes. I talked about that sad story in, from Texas and the extreme of the church becoming, wanting to separate themselves so completely but there is an opposite extreme. Accepting people does not itself mean agreeing with them, approving of them, waiving your own rights or downplaying their impact upon you. You can still take appropriate actions to protect or support yourself or others. It's quite possible that within a church family, there will be people whose behavior can influence others in a negative way. Believers or non-believers. And I think we need to ask for personal wisdom and commit ourselves to personal growth um, through prayer and Bible study and de also depend on each other, especially those who are more mature in faith, to watch each other's backs. Those in positions of leadership have a particular responsibility to live, act and teach wisely, gently and respectfully. And those of us who are less mature or know ourselves to be in need of wisdom need to be humble and open to biblical teaching. I was thinking about the um, story of Jesus washing the disciples' feet and how, though they had committed themselves to Jesus, they followed him, they still needed to have their feet washed. And figuratively, we need to be prepared to have our feet washed if we get things wrong sometimes. And that might mean that we take on board something that somebody said that is ungodly. There's a story about Peter needing to be told off by Paul in the New Testament because despite the fact that Peter had been shown by God that everybody could come into the kingdom of God, whatever their background, he then turned around and went back on that at a later stage and decided he'd only sit and eat with people who sort of came under a certain umbrella. 
And Paul rebuked him and uh, told him that wasn't right. That wasn't what God was teaching. And we have some stories in Revelation as well about two churches in particular where the churches accepted people who were teaching and practicing unbiblical, ungodly stuff. And my reading of those letters is that they weren't just accepting the people, but they had accepted their teaching as well. And that had to stop. Acceptance of other people doesn't mean acceptance or tolerance or embracing of their behavior. And we need to have wisdom to know the difference. Generally, society has rules which generally everybody expects to people to adhere to, and that's, that's right, it holds society together. But it wouldn't necessarily be right to expect someone to live in a way that reflects the teachings of the Bible if they've not experienced the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. And I think that's where our mission statement as a church really comes in. Um, that belong, believe, behave. Belonging, be changed. What did I say? Behave. <laughs> well, be changed. But the belonging is the important first step. That people need to feel that they belong somewhere. This was um, one statement that shows how people are accepted. There's a sequence of recognizing the person evaluating that person, and then acceptance before a person's admitted to a group. And what's important about that is that acceptance of the person. Everyone is precious and valued in the sight of God. That's part of our acknowledgement and approval of the person. And it leads to acceptance of them as such. But we also know that everyone needs the transforming power of the Holy Spirit at work in their lives. It's that change that needs to come. But in between, there's belief. How our world and our society needs the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. And what a responsibility we have to extend the kingdom through prayer and sharing of the gospel so that our society is changed. We, when we meet new people, need to think about the things that make them feel accepted. To listen to them with respect, love and wisdom. To include them. To love them and recognize their value in the sight of God. Each person is someone Jesus was willing to lay his life down for. We talked about the children this morning and how lovely it is to have them amongst us. And church is a family. We accept the stages that people are at. But it's not just for Sunday morning. We're a body of God's people spread around this area during the week. Wherever we are, should be somewhere safe and where people are valued and nurtured. Where those who don't yet believe are shown the love of God. Where new believers can grow and be transformed because the Holy Spirit is at work.
where believers support, love, and serve each other. We, the body of Christ, in Gillingham and the surrounding area, are a place, a body of people, through whom the kingdom is extended and society itself is being transformed. Those were my opposing words for what it feels like to be accepted as opposed to not accepted. Completely different. I've really just shared with you some thoughts about acceptance of my own. And I think it's something that we can talk about amongst ourselves as to what we do as people and as a church to make people feel accepted and loved and valued amongst us. Shall we just pray? Father God, we want to thank you so much that you receive and accept us, each one of us. Wherever we are, whatever our backgrounds, whether we have any knowledge of you or whether we've come from a place where you are a complete stranger. Lord, you put your arms out and say that you love us and you're just waiting for us to discover what you have done and what life can be like walking in step with you. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who comes to live within each one of us when we say we want to live your, your life, Lord. We want to walk with you. Lord, we pray that you would enable us, each one of us, to look at those that we encounter day by day, not just on a Sunday morning, to look at them and see them as you see them. A precious human being created by you. Someone with whom you want to have a relationship and who you want to make yourself known to in deeper and deeper ways. Lord, help us even when we've started on that journey of faith to seek you out and want to know more about you. In Jesus' name, amen.